Welcome to A Better HR Business, the podcast that looks at how HR consultants and HR tech firms grow their businesses and how they help their employers to get the best out of their people. Remember, for show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Okay, let's get started. Hi there, welcome back to the show. Partnering is easily one of the best ways to grow a business in the human resources industry. I know this from working with our clients and from my podcast guests that partnerships come in many forms, co-marketing on white papers, guest webinars, etc., paid and unpaid referrals, marketplace integrations, cross-selling products and services, and a lot more. All of this is why I'm delighted to be joined today by my joint venturing practice partner and good mate, Dave Naidu. Hey, Dave, how are you doing? Hey, Ben, how are you? I'm very well indeed. Folks, Deva is a business partnerships and joint ventures expert. He is the founder and CEO of Partners Plus, which helps CEOs and managing directors of entrepreneurial firms achieve financial and operational stability, scale and wealth via mergers and acquisitions, innovative capital events and joint ventures. Dave has over 25 years experience as a coach, financier and entrepreneur with leadership roles in the UK, Ireland, and Asia Pacific. He was previously a country manager for a boutique private equity firm and was a country head for a global talent consultancy. He's launched 11 successful financial and professional services companies and products and was instrumental in building a 100 million euro recruitment group and then willing 21 million in new revenue in just 18 months. So David, no shortage of stories there, I'm sure. Why don't you give us a bit about your background and what you do? Thank you very much, Ben. Um, so just like yourself, I'm an Aussie in Dublin. Yeah. And my focus very much is about, as you've touched upon already, advising CEOs uh, and coaching them, CEOs of entrepreneurial firms, but very much in the talent and HR space, Ben. Yeah. Um, not just, but especially. That's the vertical and sector that I'm deeply committed to and I have extensive experience in as well. So I provide multiple services to CEOs and leadership teams in that space. And what I also provide within the context is positive leadership development. And of course, as you may have mentioned, M&A, capital events, IPOs, and of course, JVs, which is what we're going to talk about today. So JVs, joint ventures, they sound fancy and maybe a little <laughs> intimidating to people. So maybe you could break it down for us. Listen, um, I, I'm yeah. happy you mentioned that. Ben, sorry, am I cutting you off there? Go for it. Go for it. No, so I'm, I'm happy you mentioned that. Look. For the convenience of this podcast, let's use the term JV joint venture. Yeah. Uh, but as at the top end of what, uh, in your introduction, there's multiple ways of approaching this. Uh, there's multiple ways of using language that is suitable for the individual or party or the other parties. Uh, so language is very critical as well. Mm. And we'll talk about that uh, and pick, that, pick up on that later on as well. But look, for the convenience, we'll just talk about joint ventures. But it really, it's another form of collaboration. Mm -hmm. It's another form of developing opportunities. It's another form of partnering. Um, but, you know, one thing that I th we'll, we'll discuss about joint ventures now is a JV is not a permanent established partnership. Generally speaking, it has a timeline of sorts. Now, it could be for multiple decades, it could be for multiple years, it could be for a shorter frame of time. You may build in uh, elements within the JV agreement to ensure that if, you know, milestones are hit or, you know, a, a risk has arisen, then, you know, both parties, one party can leave without any sort of liabilities. We can touch upon that later on if you ask any, any additional questions. But to define a JV, and I, I define, I use the definition of the Oxford Dictionary. What is a JV, right? A business project 
or activity that is begun by two or more companies which remain separate organizations. Perfect description of it, okay? I'll add something else as well, but Investopedia. A JV is a business arrangement in which two or more parties agree to pool their resources for the purpose of accomplishing a specific task. So both definitions together, I think, is an ideal dictate of what a JV can and should be. So that's the broad picture. Maybe you can sort of lead us into how can listeners set up or look at doing joint ventures and then maybe share a few examples. Beautiful. Absolutely. Uh, with your permission, Ben, I'll talk also about why. Yeah, very important. Absolutely. Why would a party consider, many a time it's someone, because you'll find there's a, an advocate, an internal sponsor, an internal ambassador that has received information, perhaps has executed on a JV previously, uh, may have counted a, a JV opportunity. And so this stakeholder within the organization becomes a champion and then kind of forms a team around them to investigate and do additional due diligence. Now, that may or may not happen. But why someone initially or an organization, so multiple stakeholders would consider doing a JV is the impact it can make on a positive aspect to an organization, especially to a company, can be exponential. Okay. And what my suggestion is, a JV should not necessarily be the primary initial strategy a business or enterprise uses, but something that they should consider as a separate channel or separate line of activity upon getting all the operational stuff robust and functioning and working well, process and systems in place. And then you go, hey, listen, organic growth is happening. How do we have ex exponential growth? And there's different forms of JVs. Uh, we're going to discuss in particular about revenue generation JVs and so, or sales JVs. But mm -hmm. let me just touch upon very quickly, there's different forms of JVs. You have uh, JVs based on IP. You have uh, JVs based on entering different markets. You have JVs based on co-branding and then taking on the market uh, together. So there's diverse ranges, different types of JVs. But tonight we're going to talk about one specific and give you a couple of examples. But the why, again, is critical. There is either an individual that champions it or a group of individuals that champions a, a, a JV opportunity uh, or a JV strategy. But again, I dare say what's critical is the building blocks in the enterprise is already in place, Ben. Okay. Um, Absolutely. So that, okay, great. So that, that, that leads to the next piece. And I've kind of touched upon some of this as well. So how do they do it? You know, how does someone or how does an organization do a JV? I think many a time, depending on the size of the company, and I'm going to use uh, specific job titles here, uh, a CFO or, uh, or a chief sales officer or even chief marketing officer or um, a CEO uh, would, will turn around and say, listen, I think we have an opportunity here to enter a new market, gain new revenue, uh, look at co-branding exercises or attain IP and share IP and all the rest with you know a, a, another party or another groups. Sorry, IP being but, intellectual property, right? Yeah, thank you, Pan, yeah. Yep. Uh, IP, that's exactly correct. So, Generally speaking, it's the C-suite or VP or director level, regardless of job titles, but, but generally speaking, that's the case. It sits with this particular uh, division or department or office, the JV uh, responsibility, okay? So how does someone do it? Someone thinks it's a good idea, right, Ben? Starts with that. Uh, or, or groups of people think it's a good, good idea. Now, at the beginning of all of that, there's an idea conception, and then, of course, there has to be stress testing of it. So that's when due diligence starts to happen. And before you even look at JV partners or executing on JVs and all the rest. So a team has to be formed within the organization or an individual has to be trained up or if they've already had the skill set saying, hey, listen, you are going to be the 
the, the JV specialist within, within the enterprise, right? So it's very much about the person or persons initially, Ben. Okay. Now I'm repeating that again and again because I think it's critical that people realize it's, you know, your listeners realize that it's people who are going to drive this and it's people who, who, who are willing to embrace and take on the responsibility because it can be an arduous task. Absolutely. Okay? Yep. Uh, that's, that's one option. The second option is, of course, you can outsource the function, um, outsource it to a, to a JV consultant, and there's multiple terms and, and definitions used for, for that particular role. Um, and there's different types of, you know, uh, um, payment models uh, for, for JV consultants, depending on who you're dealing with. You know, it could be a retained fee, uh, it could be a retained fee and a success fee, uh, it could be a retained fee. So it could be a, a revenue split fee, which I think a lot of people find uh, very interesting as well, where it's like, if you're talking about sales JV in particular, saying, hey, listen, uh, I don't want to pay any upfront fee, but how we do revenue split when success happens. What I always suggest as, as well is if it's possible, whomever the JV consultant you're dealing with is, and, and the, the organization is, the agency is, is to try and build in risk reversal as well. So, yeah. you know, if they are willing to undertake a JV then, you know, try and build in some risk reversal saying, hey, and very strong milestones within the project plan saying, hey, listen, you have to achieve this to get paid that, you have to achieve this uh, or you don't get paid at all. All right, so making very generic statements. Now, I'm not a, a legal practitioner. I strongly advise uh, anyone considering a JV to uh, seek legal counsel as well or otherwise use their in-house uh, solicitor and legal expert. What I will do now, Ben, is with your permission, I want to provide more tangible kind of stepping stones and milestones, you know, uh, yeah, during this conversation. Yep. Yeah. Okay, great. So, so let's talk about a um, couple of examples if we have time. But the first question I want to ask, and it's an interesting one, and now depending on the size of the organization, right? Okay. And depending if you outsource the function or you do it in-house, the JV function. But if someone was to spend 10 hours on a revenue generating, generating JV, and it resulted in winning, let's say, 100, 100K in new revenue, 200K in new revenue, a million in new revenue, depending on the circumstance. But again, if someone was to spend 10 hours on a JV and it resulted in winning 100K in new revenue, <laughs> would they do it? My thought is they would. Okay. Then it's return mm. on effort as well. So ROE, which is how much effort does it take for me to create 100K using a JV? I'm using very just general numbers here, Ben. Okay. I'm not yep. suggesting that we have to hold on to that, to that kind of metric, but... If you turn around and say, okay, it's, take, it'll take, it's taken me three months to get 100K in new revenue, but it's going to take me 10, 20, 30, 40 hours to run a JV campaign, and it's also going to create 100K in uh, new revenue, isn't that a compelling thing to consider? Yeah, you'd have to think so. Yeah, and that's what a revenue-generating JV can do, okay? Let's talk about a couple of examples, if you don't mind, Ben. Go for it. Um, so, again, within the sector that we're working in. So, this is... Um, this is an example between a recruitment company and a training company. Okay. It's a sales JV. There's a lot of detail here that's highly relevant and should resonate, especially if they, someone uses it as a, as a platform and structure and also in a sense of the sensitivity and sensibility of why a JV can succeed or fail. Right. So there's a lot of nuance here. Okay. So it's a financial services uh, recruitment agency. Uh, and they have a solid reputation in the marketplace, right? They have yep. a great rapport with their clients and their candidates. So initially what I'm saying is it's not a mercenary act. They have great rapport with their clients and candidates and they have a great reputation in the marketplace. That's the yeah. solid building blocks I was talking about before. Yeah, right? good standing. Yeah, Absolutely. strong relationships. Yeah. Absolutely. 
So what the recruitment MD did was he surveyed. Uh, now I worked on this 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 particular campaign, uh, but he surveyed his candidates and clients and asked a very very simple question. Right? How else can we be of service? I love that line. Yeah. Yeah. How else can we be of service? And the result was, the response was the need for a range of niche specific training. Again, financial services recruitment agency, right? So professional services, financial services, the need for a range of niche specific training. Okay. Now, what the agency ended up doing then was doing the heavy lifting on behalf of their clients and candidates. And they, were, did, they performed due diligence and they went out in the marketplace with my help and, and they reviewed and, a, a wide range of different training companies. And it was in the double digits the amount of training companies that they reviewed, found a specific training company that there's a shared mind mindset. Uh, they were very reputable. They had the niche training that was required for, for uh, the candidates and clients. And they end up striking a, a relationship. And what it, it, it created was the training company customized a tra- multiple training packages for the candidates and clients of this financial services recruitment agency. Uh, and the agency also negotiated a reduced fee for the tr- for the, from the training company wow. for their candidates and clients, right? That's a really good outcome because both companies benefit, but also the end yeah. user, the actual job seekers or the audience that they were looking at, they get a higher standard of training because it's been tailored to their exact needs. That's a, a triple win, right? Yeah, exactly. So you may have... Uh, in-house HR or in-house L&D managers who kind of, you know, who focus on wide range of in- internal training, but whenever they outsource, sometimes they have, the, they have their, their set supplies for CPD and all, all the rest, continual professional development and all the rest, but sometimes it needs to be updated. Now, this happened to have happened, uh, this particular example, I think it's telling because, uh, I, I, you know, if you don't mind if I'm going to timestamp it, uh, uh, Ben, it was uh, during the uh, global financial crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, then because of that, there was a wide range of niche and additional training that was required that people hadn't counted on, uh, on, on it happening. So therefore, the clients and candidates are going, oh, I've got to upskill myself now. Uh, on the upside uh, of a good economy, this is what I had to train myself in. Now it's the downside. What do I need to do? I don't know. And so again, there was a compelling drive here, right? And the training company goes, I know this is what you need as per regulation and compliance uh, to go forward, right? That include. Uh, in training like in Basel and Basel II and all the rest, right? So back in the day. Oh, yeah. So the training company, like I said, man, like I mentioned, customized the training content. Um, they helped write a bunch of emails with the, uh, the recruitment company. Uh, it was four emails to highlight the benefits of buying the training via the agency. So the training company was saying, hey, listen, you know, the training uh, recruitment company was sending a bunch of emails, but they co-branded it and say, listen, we've, we've listened to you. You want to know niche training specifics, uh, niche specific training. We've mm-hmm. gone on the marketplace. We found a great supplier for you. They've customized to suit, it, suit, suit you guys. Uh, um, and, and what it entails is this. And this was multiple emails because you dare say you need multiple touch points and conversations for people to respond. And, and this is the benefits and the, then the MD of the training company goes, and these are the benefits I'm providing you that will not happen out in the open market, right? So it wrapped it up and said, I'm providing you, thanks to introduction, 
we are providing you this, not just from a reduced fee, we are bundling a whole bunch of other stuff. This is not available in, in, in the open market. It's just for you because of the financial services recruitment uh, 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 MD who's gone and done this for you. Nice. Right? So again, you, you understand the value of all of that. It's not cynical, it's genuine, but it's also, it, it, it's, it provides an additional kind of uh, uh, compa compelling element to it, to it all as well for the end user, right? Then well, the agency, so go ahead, please. So I was just going to say, I mean, for the training company, they've made sales that they were never going to make. Yep. The recruitment firm has generated revenue out of thin air, really, because they're not doing recruitment for this particular JV. And yeah, as I said before, the clients get an even better training experience. Absolutely. So that's all measurable, right? Oh, yep. new revenue, new contacts, new, uh, new touch points, new developing of relationships. But there's something else happening here as well. The agency had good rapport, right? The recruitment agency had good rapport. But what's happening here is they're also developing a, wide, a, a deeper sense of understanding for the client and candidate's needs. And also a, a greater degree of, of trust is being formed as well. You know, what else can we do? You know, how else can we be of service to you? They're, again, extending the notion of the lifetime value of a client extending the notion of becoming a trusted advisor. So this is harder to measure, but that sense of goodwill is really critical. Yeah, right. Um, so, and what it entails is, as time goes on, I dare say, you know, other, other provisions of services can be provided as well. Okay, uh, but let me just go back to the structure, Ben, but you're correct. Okay, so the agents then send the training package details via their own systems. So that's, you know, regulatory compliance with data protection and all the rest to their candidates and clients. The new revenue is shared with the training company. In this instance, it was a 50-50 split. It doesn't always have to be that. Right? Um, now, so that's what happened. New rev, okay? New sales. Now, besides for that, the benefits include the agencies, and I'm repeating myself here for a reason. The agency and candidates and client, the agency's candidates and clients receive an exemplary service from the training company because they've, they've created a special package that's not out in the open market. Yeah. And a better deal for a value service. I love okay? it. The agency cultivate a deeper level of trust with their candidates and clients. I love that, Ben. I really <laughs> love that. Right? And the agency generated extra revenue, of course, that was used for scaling their business. So here's what's interesting as well. It's not just like, all right, what are we going to use uh, uh, the revenue for? I, I always say I have this thing called the Thai framework, which uh, one of my friends, Spike Huma, uh, created. And, t uh, and Spike talks about time frame for the JV impact is going to make in the business and the ease of doing it, right? So mm. you want to work with, maybe someone within your network already for your first JV or start the conversation anyway uh, within your own network before you got to the open call market. Uh, but what it also entails is if you get 100K in new revenue and if you turn around and say, oh, listen, I'm going to train, retrain my staff or I'm going to meet payroll because times are tough or we're going to spend our marketing and advertising. Oh, you know, we, that's part of our, uh, our holiday season, uh, um, you know, a bonus, whatever may be the case, that's a measurable impact this new revenue is providing for you. Or you may turn around and say, oh, we can put it in the wall chest, let's do it again and let's, and let's build on it and, and do something grander down the line, okay? It's part of a strategic framework. So understanding what the impact of this revenue is going to make on the onset, Ben, when you start doing this, I think is critical as well because it creates intrinsic motivation and, and, yeah. and perseverance as well, okay? Absolutely. Now, the training company, of course, generate extra revenue. So that's goodwill in the marketplace. Um, and the, the, here's the thing, with minimum risk for all parties concerned. With minimum risk for all parties concerned. Because speed of trust, speed of collaboration, 
speed of execution was on both parties' side because they had that relationship relationship with the candidates and the clients. Okay, does that make sense? It does. Okay, what else? The training company now, now this doesn't always work, Ben. I know you and I have talked about this before. It's an ideal case scenario, but it doesn't always work. Uh, but the training company now can also endorse the agency to their own clients and students for additional revenue streams or to an, an, another potential JV partner in their network as well. Okay, so uh, I think that's interesting as well. And I dare say it's a replication of other additional benefits that happens as well on, on, on both sides of it. So sorry, just um, to clarify, you mean rinse and repeat? Review, rinse and repeat. Yeah, review, exactly. Review, uh, rinse and repeat. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That was a campaign we executed. It were tough times and it was 100K in extra new, uh, new revenue. Uh, and post that, um, you know, because in the training company endorsed uh, the agency to their own clients and, uh, and their own students for additional revenue streams. Uh, and from what I know, other, other JVs were formed, but I had moved on to other things uh, Post that, post that initial campaign. Okay, so David, you've made this sound so easy. And it sounds <laughs> delightful. There has to be a little bit of a mess in making of this wonderful recipe, but is there a secret sauce involved in, in putting it all together? Look, Ben, with your permission, we talked about perhaps me providing a couple of examples, but let's just leave it at one. I think that's enough for this particular conversation. But the secret sauce is something that I kind of touched upon quite early on in the process as well. Many a time people will approach this as a financial or legal engineering process okay or simply a sales process or revenue generation process and yes why not okay that rigor and discipline and mindset intent has to be there but in order for a jv in fact in order for good nego negotiation to happen uh so there's a broader concept given mm -hmm. is the fact that the first party who's initiating this kind of jv opportunity must have the best intent and the best uh, uh, the intent the best intent for the other party so the other party's well-being and concern uh, the other JV par partners uh, um, you know pain points have to be addressed so I think the most important thing is cab duty Ben excuse me yeah so that's the secret sauce the secret sauce is the care of duty. Without that, the speed of execution slows down, right? I'm all about the speed of trust and speed of collaboration and speed of execution, right? Mm -hmm. Getting this thing done with yeah. due diligence, but as fast as you can, right? So without care of duty, things slow down. Without understanding the needs and the pain points of the other JV partner, there's no solution you can provide. So, you know, someone else's problem is the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And then if you think about the whole circle of the employee life cycle, everything connects to the next yeah. stage along uh, and then right back to the beginning. So recruitment is actually connected to outplacement in, in terms of a cycle. And we're seeing that at the moment. And training is connected to onboarding. Onboarding absolutely. is connected to recruitment. And then you've absolutely. got tech, consulting, implementation. There's all the different segments, but then there are segments within those segments and all of them can be partnered up in some way. That's what gets my mind racing about all of this. Spot on. I mean, like, absolutely correct. The ability to start to see the connections can be very, very exciting. Yeah. So across the whole employee experience, there's multiple opportunities for you to place yourself in a JV dealing campaign. Within that ecosystem, you start to see the connection points. And let's be perfectly frank. I'll go back to the Thai framework, you know, the sense of ease. Maybe this JV partner is already on your phone. This person is already on the phone. 
Mm. It may be a training company. It may be a software company that has the same end client as yourself, but they don't provide consultancy. You know, so you could provide the consultancy to 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 the software deliverable. Um, and so, so what I'm saying is, once you start to see this connection point and the fact that you kind kind of probably have some of these relationships or potential JV partner relationships already within your own network. And you may even, they may, may be mates, they may be uh, colleagues from past companies you work for and all, you know, all the rest, uh, past employees and past employees, whatever may be the scenario. Uh, you, you start to see this, this start to, if you start to list this kind of connection points, uh, it's very, very exciting. <laughs> it becomes really, really exciting. I'm, I'm smiling to myself here because my first ever really big contract with a multinational company, this is when I moved to join forces with some others in my first HR consulting business. And we set up a JV under a lead business, if you like, a lead consulting firm. It was an environmental management firm. We were the HR element to it, a JV for a large project build. And the person who brought us in on that was someone I'd done vacation work with over a summer. Is that right? Yeah. So you're right. They're in your phone or they're in your email list or or you've liked their post on LinkedIn recently. You you just don't know. But when you start to think about the possibilities and I recommend, dear listener, that you think about it in terms of the employee life cycle. And you think, what's connected to something else? And then what do we do that someone else doesn't? And how can we you know, pair up? I just think there's so many opportunities. I agree. And again, if I could just repeat and add, Ben, someone else's concern and problem is your opportunity. And that's where the gold mine is. Yeah. If you time. position yourself as a solution, that's where the opportunity is. I understand this is happening. Guess what I can do for you? Yeah. David, you've covered so much ground here and hopefully I think we've got people's minds racing as to opportunities out there. If people want to learn more about this, we'll put in the show notes the link, but there is a business partnerships information page. But David, thank you very much for your time. It's been wonderful talking with you. I've really enjoyed our conversation today. My absolute pleasure. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for joining us today on A Better HR Business, the podcast that explores the world of HR consulting and HR tech businesses. For show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and share the show with any friends who are busy growing a HR business. Thanks and see you next time.